Ecclesiastes 9 and 7, the message, seize life. Seize life. Did you get that? Boy, that's passion. Hebrews 6, 13 through 15, and I'm going to have to preach quickly. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he, you see this word, swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless you, and in multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, that's Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Did you see that? God gave him a promise. He had to patiently endure, and he received the promise. We often make the mistake of believing that when we receive a promise of God, that it means it's going to be fulfilled no later than tomorrow at 12 noon. And if it's not, we didn't hear from God. And that's not necessarily the case. Joseph had a dream, and always between the promise and the provision, there's the problem. What Joseph did not see when he saw the dream was that his own brothers would sell him into slavery that he would be a slave in Potiphar's house and finally end up in a dungeon for 17 years. Joseph only saw the promise, but between the promise and the provision was the problem. Turn to somebody and say, delayed is not denied. Would you do that? And after Abraham received the promise and patiently endured, he received the, prom uh, he received the fulfillment of that promise. Matthew 12 and 8, You'll wonder how this is connected, but it is, and I'll show you shortly. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Father, in Jesus' name, let your word impact our hearts and our lives the way it was supposed to be. Let your word speak authoritatively to us with governmental order, aligning the things in our lives, causing the fulfillment of the things in our lives that you have purpose should be there. We ask it for your glory. And everybody said amen. Tell somebody, it's my time now. Would you do that? My time now. My time now. Just remember that. I'm sure you've noticed at the end of each year, the start of every new year, there are always these articles that are, that are published in magazines. You see them on the major networks, these stories about great people of the previous year and what's happened with them, their accomplishments, their achievements, their transitions their deaths, their weddings, their whatever. And uh, many times these same networks or magazine articles will also speak about what is supposed to happen in the new and coming year. Experts will prognosticate, forecast, predicting what they anticipate seeing will come within the next 12 months. Some even go so far as to not just predict for the next 12 months, they will make predictions covering the next 10, 20, 30 more years into the future. In the past, a few of these predictions have been startlingly accurate, amazingly so. While others couldn't have been further from reality if they had tried on purpose to be wrong. <clears throat> for example, in researching this message, I pulled up one article that way back, in 1967, experts predicted at the end of 1967, as the new year was rolling around, that at the turn of the century, which is the year 2000, that would be 32 years from when this article was published, that at the year 2000, 
that because technology was increasing at such a rapid rate that the average American work week would only be 22 hours long. That's what they said would happen by the year 2000. Not only that, we would only work 27 out of 52 weeks in the year. 27 weeks out of 52, and even those, you would only work 22 hours a week. Well, I don't know about you, but they sure missed it with me on that one. Amen. I can tell you for sure. In fact, most of us are more busy now than we've ever been. We really are. And uh, we're always in a hurry. We walk fast, talk fast, eat fast. Everything we do is fast. We want our fast food to even be faster. You know what I mean? You don't, you, want, you don't believe that? You want to see how much Holy Spirit you have? Pull into the queue at McDonald's after somebody got their order wrong and they take five minutes at the window sorting it out. And you're wanting to say, what's fast food about this? Amen. It will test your, your, your patience. You see, man may try to guess what's going to happen, but he cannot. He doesn't have the ability or the capacity to be able to determine what's going to happen next. There's only one who does, and that's the one who holds the future in the palm of his hand. Because God is eternal, that means he stretches out on either side of eternity, of time rather, in eternity. And God is able to, is able to tell us what's going to happen tomorrow because where he is, he's already in tomorrow. There is no past or future with God. And so here we are, well into the year 2014, and I've got a feeling, I've got a feeling that this year is different than any I've ever lived before, and I mean that in a positive way. I'm excited about this year. I'm not like one of those that, you know, some folk, every time there's a new year, they, they find some little cute slogan, you know, it's going to heaven in 2011 or whatever. Well, go ahead and go. I'm going to stay here and work for God a little while. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't look for all of that. You know, I'm not, that's not really my thing. But I've got an unusual degree of excitement that is burning in me that I really believe God has inspired. I shared with you how it happened last year. I don't mean to be crude, but last year it was hell on earth. And I didn't say a thing to anybody, but I went through warfare all 12 months of last year. And it intensified as the year went on until as the year wound down after Christmas and as the year was ending, I boarded a flight in Africa from Nairobi into uh, Amsterdam. I went to sleep on the plane. When the plane landed in Amsterdam and I woke up, something had happened. I felt something was different. And, and I'd lived with that thing for the last 12 months draped around me like a wet blanket over my shoulders for so long. I knew immediately something was different and I kept looking, wondering what it was. And it dawned on me that a breakthrough had occurred, that something had shifted in the heavenly dimension. And I landed before 6 o'clock in the morning, and a couple of hours later, as everybody in Europe is waking up, one of my spiritual sons in Germany sends me a text and said, Hey, Dad, I just woke up, and I dreamed about you this night. And he said, I dreamed that you were in intercession, deep intercession, and that while you were in intercession, angels showed up, and there was a breakthrough, and I just wanted to text you and, said, and tell you, a breakthrough's coming. God showed me that last night. Oh, boy, by then the hair is standing up on the nap of my neck. And then I flew in on home, catching my connecting flight, and landed and turned on my phone to find an email from another one of my sons here in the United States saying the same thing. 
I've told you that. But the reason I mention it again is because I truly believe that my excitement for this year is God-inspired. I'm also excited because not only has something broken in the spirit realm that I believe was not just for me, but for the church and the people that I'm connected to and provide covering for and ministry, and you're my family and whatever affects me affects you, but I believe simply that this year is my time. I just have a sense and a feeling. And, and you know what I'm talking about. You, you know when it's somebody else's time and not yours. Oh, come on now and help me out. I've, I've been like the crowd at the pool of Bethesda. The Bible said in St. John 5, there was a whole multitude of folk there. And Jesus walked right, right by every one of them and just went straight to the man that was impotent and lame and said, do you want to be healed? And I've had Jesus do that. Step over me to get to other people, you know, and, 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 and fix whatever was going on and bless them. And I'm, I'm thinking as soon as he gets done with them, he's coming back to me. And he just walks right on off. And never, I'm saying, hey, hello, you know, right over here. Hey, hey, you know. And Jesus just keeps on going. That's exactly what happened at the pool of Bethesda. He healed one man and turned around and walked off. And I look at the Bible and it, it occurs to me that timing is a very significant and important aspect of receiving from God. There was a day that Abraham's time came. He had to wait until it came. But when it came, baby, it came. Amen. And I think of David. It was Saul's time for a little while and then David's time came. And it was Joseph's time after a while. And you need to understand that sooner or later, your time's coming too. And I believe it's this year. Tell somebody it's my time now. Would you do that? You say, why should I have passion for God? I want to talk to you a little bit about who this God is in your life. Here we are, as I said, in the middle of 2000, uh, beginning the year 2014, moving toward the middle of February already. It's amazing. It just, oh, it's a blur now. And and yesterday when I landed, I turned on the news for a little while, and, and forgive me for making this reference, but they were celebrating the fact that yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the Beatles coming to the United States of America to appear on the Ed Sullivan Show. And when they came from Liverpool, England, they impacted America and radically changed music for the entire world from that day to this present moment, music has never been the same. They are the single most successful pop group that has ever existed in time. Think about it. I remember seeing them. Of course, that's 50 years ago, and I was a little, little, little bitty guy, you know. And, but I just have a really good memory. Amen. And, and I remember them with their guitars and their mop-headed haircuts and looked like a bowl had been put over their head and the haircut around uh, the outside of the bowl, and, and them singing, I want to hold your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all remember that? Some of you remember very well. You just don't want to admit it right now. Amen. They changed the scene of American music. American music was never the same. It was called the British Invasion. What you may not know is sometimes you don't get your chance because people don't see what's in you. Amen. But if you hang around and be patient, the God who put it in you is going to see it and call it out someday. Your time is coming. And you might not even realize it. 
But the Beatles didn't, people didn't see it in them either at first. Do you know that their manager finally managed to get an audition with Decca Records, which was the, one of the largest recording, uh, producing, album producing companies in the world, record companies, and their vice president said and listened to the Beatles play 14 songs just before they came to America? 14, three of them John Lennon's own compositions. And the vice president listened for one hour, and when they got done, he stood up and said, gentlemen, I can't use you. He said, you don't have any place in the future because there is no future for guitar bands. And they walked out sad and dejected only to get a call from the Ed Sullivan show a few days later. How would you like to be the vice president with this in your resume that you told the Beatles they don't have a future? <laughs> they have sold over 2 billion albums more than anybody else in the history of music. Most people are happy if they sell, you know, a uh, hundred thousand is good. A million is unbelievable. hundred million, you're one of the primetime all-stars. Not these guys, they've sold over two billion and somebody turned them down. I wonder if he's still sweeping streets right now. In fact, I w hey man. Look, don't you let anybody tell you that, that, that you don't have what it takes. Don't let anybody tell you God doesn't have anything for you. Oh, you need to know this, and I'm going to preach my heart out today. Your own neighbor next door may not even realize who's living next to him. In fact, the person in your house that you share a bed with might not even know who they're married to. But you need to say, my time is coming. It's my time now. Amen. I've watched Jesus walk right by and bless everybody else, but this is my year. And it's not only that way because I feel it in my spirit. Jewish people believe this year is significant for other reasons. They have, in a study of numbers, a whole theology that has developed. And they say numbers are extremely important. The number one is the most important number in the Bible because here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And it represents God. The second most significant number that is far more important than any other number that is mentioned in the Bible is the number seven. The number seven, it is the number of completion. And I'm going to show you all of this in a moment. And they believe that every year is significant and every year is important because they believe that at the beginning of the year, God, who is sovereign, determines what blessings are coming your way if you will honor him. And it's always predicated upon if you will honor him. I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. You get to choose which it's going to be. God said, I'm going to bless you if you do this. And he holds out his staff, his scepter, and causes all humanity to pass underneath it. And as we do, God decrees over each of us what is coming by way of blessings this year. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That is to say, if I just do my part, it's coming. Amen. Oh, you need to hear what I'm talking about right now. Don't matter if you don't believe it or not, it's coming anyway. He said it. Amen. Come in anyway. And numbers are important, but like I said, I'm not one of those that, you know, 2011, this year I'm going to heaven, all that, not that kind of thing. I got a joke for you, okay, joke. Numbers are important. The mafia was hiring accountants. Now, I don't know anybody that's in the mafia, but maybe I do, and they just hadn't told me, okay? Okay, but 
the mafia is hiring accountants and they are conducting interviews. And so the first accountant walks in and introduces himself and said, hello, I'm here for the accounting position. And the boss says, I've got one question only. What's two plus two? And the man said, well, that's simple. That's four. The boss said, wrong. You're dismissed. You can go. I don't need you. Second one comes in. The first one is walking out, shaking his head like, uh, what is, uh, I mean, does he know what he's doing? I mean, two plus two is four. And the second accountant that is applying comes in and he says, I want to apply for the accountant's position. And the boss said, one question only, what's two plus two? And the guy said, four. The boss said, wrong, you're dismissed. I don't need you either. And he goes out grumbling. What's the matter with that guy? He goes through three different applicants like that. And on the fourth, the accountant comes in that is applied. And the boss said, what's two plus two? And the man said, whatever you want it to be. And the boss said, you're hired. (laughs) Numbers are important. Well, I want you to add some things up with me today because you may not know it, but 2014 is called the year of double seven. That's what the Hebrews call it, the year of double seven, 2014. And if you add the digits 2014 together, it comes seven. But because the last two digits of 2014 are 14, adding the others up, the number seven, you equal 14, double seven. Two sevens equal 14. Jewish theologians considered the number seven to be one of the most, the most spiritual number outside of one that exists and known to man. In Hebrew, the number of seven is siva. It is from the root word siva, which means to be full or to be satisfied, have enough of. And get this. Now, on the seventh day, God rested from the work of creation. Why? Because it was full and complete and good and perfect. Nothing could be added to it or taken away from it without mooring it. Hence the word savath, which comes from this same word, is to cease, to desist, to rest, and shabbat, or sabbath, or day of rest, is what we understand. The significance of the number seven is seen further and how it is used in Scripture. The Bible talks about rainbows. Did you know that a rainbow has seven primary colors? That's right, seven. Look, Google it. I did yesterday. Seven primary colors that, that are blended into a thousand, science says, of different hues, but there are seven primary colors that make up the rainbow. Again, did you know that in music that there are Eight notes to the scale, watch this, but seven complete one scale, and the eighth is a new beginning of the next scale. Follow me. Do, re, mi, fa, so, ti, la, do. You're now at another octave starting all over again. When God blessed Abraham, he gave him a sevenfold blessing, not sixfold, not eightfold. Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3. Count them. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless them that bless you, curse them that curse you, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. Somebody say, I'm blessed seven times. Would you do that? God established a sevenfold covenant with Israel in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8. When he brought them out of Egypt, this is what he said. Seven times in these verses, God said, I will, I will, I will, I will. Seven times emphasizing what he's going to do. He said, I will bring you out from Egypt. I will rid you of their bondage. Number three, redeem you. Number four, take you to me for a people. Number five, be to you a God. Number six, I will bring you into the land. And number seven, I will give it to you. I need somebody to say, he's going to be my God. Tell somebody, he's going to be my God. I'm going to be his child. He's bringing me into my promised land. 
and it's going to be mine. I'm not going to visit it. I'm going to stay. Amen. He's given it to me. Amen. When anointing the high priest, the high priest was first sprinkled with blood seven times, not six, not eight. And then he was anointed with oil and sprinkled with oil, not six and not eight times, but seven times. The same word that is used for creation or for Sabbath is used here. And then when the leper was cleansed, there was a ceremony involving running water and two birds and, and red twine and, and hyssop. And the leper was to go to the entrance of the tabernacle. Oh, I love this. Because standing there at the door of the tabernacle, they would kill one bird and set the other one free. And the leper was to be sprinkled with the blood of the slain bird seven times, not six and not eight. When the red heifer was sacrificed and offered to God, its ashes were afterward collected and then mixed with water that had been sanctified, and it was sprinkled seven times at the door, not six and not eight, but seven exactly, at the door of the tabernacle, thus cleansing the ground for you to walk into the door or into a new, you get this, into a new dimension. Mention. And this is important. The number seven always refers to completion. This old past season is full, done up. I'm moving into fullness there. Now, but the year 2014 not only means I'm moving into seven, I'm moving into double seven. I'm moving into twice as much. You might call that a double portion. In other words, this is my time now. I watched him walk by and heal somebody else, but it's my turn to get it today. And this, you may have had your year last year and it wasn't mine, but this year is my year. I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. Somebody shout hallelujah. Do you know that on the day of atonement, the high priest would sprinkle the blood in seven different places? That's right. He would take the sacrificial offering on Yom Kippur, the most holy day of the year. And if man were doing it, we would sprinkle the blood. It was at the tabernacle. We would start at the entrance and walk in. But it wasn't man's idea. It was God's. And so starting on the inside, he would first sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. You find this in Leviticus 6.14. And then he would step in front of the mercy seat, sprinkle it on the ground, front of the mercy seat. That's the second place. Then he would walk back outside the veil. Hmm. This is God coming to meet man by way of the blood. You see, God doesn't go where the blood is not first been, and, and he's on his way now. Oh, somebody in the building shout hallelujah right now. And when he got on the outside of the veil, sprinkled the blood on the ground. Next thing he came to was the golden altar of incense, and it had four horns on the, on the altar. And he would sprinkle the blood on the four horns of the altar, Exodus 30 and 10. Then he went on to the brazen altar where the sacrifice was offered in Leviticus 16 and 18. And he would sprinkle the blood on the four horns of the altar there. And then he would take the blood and pour it all the way around the altar, the brazen altar. Meaning that when you dedicate yourself to God, when you go by the way of the blood, Satan can't get to you because the blood surrounds you. And I need somebody in the building to say hallelujah right now. Mm, I'm preaching better than some of you are responding. I need somebody to hear. I know I'm throwing a lot of information out there, but baby, I'm getting ready to rock your world right now. And, and after that, he poured all of the blood at the foot of the brazen altar, Leviticus 4 and 18. 
You might not know it, when when Jesus came, he shed his blood, not in six places, not in eight places, but in exactly seven different places from his body, blood poured forth for our redemption and our salvation and atonement. First of all, in the Garden of Gethsemane, his capillaries broke, and from his pores came blood that mingled with his sweat. Secondly, when they ripped the beard from his face after he was arrested and brought to trial, they violently ripped the beard from his face, ripping the skin with it, the blood poured down. Then the crown of thorns, number three, was placed on his brow and hammered on until they drove the thorns in his brow third place, that's where the blood was released. Number four, they beat him until the flesh was flayed from his back, leaving the stripes that are there for our healing. That's the fourth place the blood was shed. The fifth were the nails in his feet for our walk with God. The sixth were the nails in his hands for us to do the work of God. And the seventh was the spear in his side after he cried out, it is finished and died. The Roman centurion thrust the spear into his side from which came blood and water. Not six places, not eight places, seven places. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the Lord of seven. This is what the Lord of Sabbath literally means. Another meaning of the root word Shavah is to swear or make an oath. Stay with me now because it's going to get good. Tell somebody it's getting ready to get to where you live right now. To swear or make an oath. When God told Abraham, I swear I'm going to bless you. He looked around for somebody that he could swear by. And he said, I couldn't find anybody as great as I am because there's no other God beside me. So I swore by myself. And the word that is translated swear literally means seven. I seven myself. Mm. Mm. Now, I, I told you it's getting ready to get good. The chapter before it, Abraham and Abimelech have a meeting. Abimelech is king of Gerar. He's king of the Philistines. And these are arch rivals of the people of God. Israel hadn't even been shaped as a nation yet. But already there's animosity that is forming because that represents the world and the kingdom of darkness. And up until this moment, Abraham is a nobody. He's a stranger in their land. And, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, the Philistines, is over him. But something was going on because Abram was already pregnant with everything that God had promise to release in him and something is shifting and moving in the spirit dimension so much so that even Abimelech picks up on it and he sees that there's there's something going on he's on top but he senses Abraham is being elevated above him and that's just like what the scripture said would happen to us because we're meant to be the head and not the tail we're meant to be blessed coming in and going out we're meant to be first and not last hello somebody we're meant to lend and not borrow tell somebody the God of seven is over my life. Would you do that? Amen. The God of completion. Amen. What he's getting ready to do for me, you can't add to it or take away from it. It's going to be perfect just the way it is. And not only that, this is my year to get twice as much because it's not just a year of seven. It's a year of a double seven. And amen. And Abraham and Abimelech met, and Abraham said, you want peace with me? Abimelech literally came and said, look, we've been having our problems. We've been having difficult times, but I want to make peace with you. Oh, Lord, can I preach about that for a while? Because there's such an anointing coming on you that even your enemies are going to come and want to make peace with you. And, and the boss, it can't stand you right now. Hey, 
There's a divine reversal getting ready to occur and somebody's on top of you right now that you're getting ready to be promoted over and and he senses it and, and he may have fought you up until now but Abimelech is looking for conditions of peace today and can we have a peace treaty and, and can we have a covenant here because something's going on in you, Abraham. And Abraham said, look, you want peace with me? Let me tell you how what's got to happen. Your servant stole one of my wells. Go read about it in the book of Genesis 21. Chapter 21, your servant stole one of my wells. And Abimelech said, I don't know anything about a well being stolen. He said, oh, yeah, they stole one of my wells. You want peace with me? You got to give me back everything you stole from me. I'm talking to somebody that this is not your year to just be complete. This is your year also to have everything restored that the enemy took away from you. This is your year for God to give it back. Uh, somebody in the building needs to shout hallelujah. The business the devil stole, God's going to give it back. Your health that the enemy stole, God's going to give it back. The marriage that the devil stole, God's going to give it back. The ministry that the enemy snatched away from you, the well, God's going to give it back. And so Abimelech said, I'm willing to do that because I see what's happening to you. And don't you think for a minute the devil doesn't see what's happening in your life right now. Don't you think for a minute the enemy can't tell what this year means to you. That's why we all fought so bad last year. That's why it was such a struggle. That's why we went through so much hell on earth last year. He was trying to abort what God was going to do this year of the double seven. But I got news for the enemy. It didn't work. I still want my whale back. And, and I'm still going to be blessed. And I haven't given up or going home yet. I'm still here saying I want what God has promised me. And I still want my anointing. And I still want my ministry. And I still want the divine favor of God on my life. Yes, you're not going to rob it from me. I've got, got to finish this. And so they took seven new lambs and lined them up and sacrificed them. And they entered into an oath and they swore to each other. Listen to this. Genesis 21, 31. They swore both of them. The word for swear there is they seven themselves. Sevened themselves. Because the word refers to the seven lambs. Now it's the next chapter. That God tells Abraham, I swear by myself that I'm going to bless you in blessing. I will bless you. God uses the very same word from Genesis 21 that I just got through telling you about that was used to describe Abraham and Abimelech sevening themselves. And God said, I seven myself. I'm giving you a promise that can't be added to or taken away from. That I'm going to complete everything in your life. Now you say, what significance does that have? I'll tell you in conclusion. In the New Testament, when Jesus came, nobody knew who he was. Oh, come on, let's face it. They were looking for him to be born into some palace somewhere, king of kings and lord of lords. I mean, they weren't expecting him to enter the world through his own back door of creation. Amen. They weren't looking for him to show up in a stable somewhere. Amen. They didn't realize that Mary's baby was actually Mary's God come to earth in flesh. Hey. Are y'all still here? Y'all want me to finish this? Okay, somebody say amen with me right now. 
Watch it now. Hey, hey, watch it now. I'm having so much fun with this. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Jesus, one day, he was with his disciples in Matthew 12, and his disciples forgot what day it was. The reason they forgot what day it was is because he was the Lord of the Sabbath. They knew this. And so you know what happened? And forgetting it was the Sabbath, they started tearing ears of corn off. And if you've ever done this in, in, a, in a field, you t- rip off the ear of corn, break the little stalk that it's, attaches it to the, the main stalk. And then what you do is you rip the husk away, right? And then you put it between your hands and you do this. You ever done that? And the silk comes off. And they didn't even wait to get home. They were so hungry, they, they ate it raw. And those wicked Pharisees, they could have stopped them at any time and said, guys, it's a Sabbath. Oh, no, they didn't do that. They let them rip it off, rip the husk, and then do this number and eat it. And when they finally got through eating, they said, "Uh, Jesus, hey, hey, point of order here. Your disciples have eaten corn on the Sabbath that they picked and cleaned themselves. And Jesus looked at them and said, you don't even know who I am, do you? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of seven. That's literally what he was saying. I am the Lord of the seventh. I'm the Lord of completeness and wholeness. Amen. He then went on after beginning his ministry to perform seven miracles. I'm going to just mention them and I'm done. Seven miracles, each of them unique and significant that he performed on the Sabbath day. Not on the day before or the day after. He recorded, the, the Bible records many miracles he did. But there are only seven he performed on the Sabbath. He chose each one of them with deliberate care and intention. Number one, he healed the man with a withered hand, Matthew 12 and 9. Number two, he healed the man with the unclean spirit, Mark 1, 21. Number three, he healed Peter's wife's mother, Mark chapter 1, verse 29. I don't know if Peter's forgiven him for doing that yet. Amen. Number four, he healed the woman with the spirit of infirmity, Luke 13, 11. Number five, he healed a man with dropsy. And swelling in Luke 14 and 2. Number six, he healed the impotent man to whom I've already made reference, of whom I've already made reference in John 5, or, or uh, 5 and verses 8 and 9. And then finally, he healed the man born blind in John 9 and 14. Each one of these things signifies something. When he healed the man with a withered hand, that means he healed a man who wasn't able to hold what God was giving him. This is my year to hold on to everything God's giving me. When he healed the man with the unclean spirit, you need to realize unclean spirit doesn't just refer to things that have to do of a demonic nature or lust or that kind of thing. It also refers to your attitude. Remember the Old Testament, Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. Daniel had a more excellent spirit, the scripture says. And when he healed this man of an unclean spirit, he was healing somebody with a wrong attitude. One of the problems in walking through all the difficulty that you walk through is it turns your direction the wrong way. It makes you look away from God. God and your attitude becomes sour. This year, God's turning us back to him. Amen. Amen. Oh, let me talk to you now. One reason some of us don't get blessed is we can't hold on to what he's given us. And another reason some of us don't get blessed is our attitude and our hearts are all turned sour and bitter. Tell somebody, get rid of the bitterness. It's not worth it. Would you do that? Whoever's hurt you, let it go. Whoever disappointed you, let it go. Believe again. Dare to have faith again. Dare to trust again. God is good. This is your year. Amen. It's my time now. 
when Peter's mother, wife's mother was healed of a fever, it was meant that she, she had an infection in her body. Fever does several things. It makes your heart beat fast. It makes your pulse speed up. It makes your temperature soar. And you know what? You can burn up and you can get heated up about the wrong things in life. And one reason that some of us do not move into the fullness of God is we've got passion for the wrong things. And that's why I'm telling you, our heart can beat fast for the wrong things. This year, God, I want my heart to beat fast for what really matters. And I don't want it to be something else that's invaded my life. If there's anybody's name I want to hear, it's yours. And if there's any place I want to be, it's in your presence. And if there's anybody I want to love, it's you, Jesus. And I want passion for God this year. And hallelujah. The woman with the spirit of infirmity was bent over for 18 years. And her problem was she couldn't look up. And, and, that, and she was always looking the wrong way. And you may not realize it, but the direction you're looking determines the direction you're going. Oh, help me now. You look away while you're driving and see if your car doesn't start steering off in that same direction. Sometimes we need God to come along and raise us up because we're bent over and can't. Oh, she couldn't elevate herself. I'm here to speak a prophetic word in this house today. You couldn't raise yourself up, but God's elevating this year in 2014. This is your year to be lifted up. This is your year. Amen. The man he healed of dropsy is significant. He healed him on the Sabbath for a deliberate reason. Dropsy is an old medical term for a condition that most of us are familiar with when it's, its more current medical name is applied. Dropsy has to do with swelling where we retain fluid in an extreme way. Dropsy is usually a sign of congestive heart failure. And what it means is your heart is not efficient in pumping the blood and removing the fluids that build up like poisons in your system. And after a while, your lungs start filling up and the body cavities feel and they compress the lungs. And if you've ever seen anybody with congestive heart failure, they're gasping like a fish on the side of the bank. And they can't hardly breathe. And one of the things about breath, the word for breath in the New Testament is the very same word, pneuma, that represents the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Some of us, we haven't moved into everything God has for us because we're not full of the Holy Spirit. We just, we only have full. And that, by that I mean we can't take a deep breath. Jesus breathed on them. <sighs> And said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. It, th this isn't meant or designed to be a life where you just live one foot in and one foot out. And, and for you to just be half full. The Bible says, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. We're in this excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Tell somebody, this is my year to get full of God. Would you do that? Get full of God. And finally, we read about the impotent man stuck in one place. He can't move. Stuck in one place. Am I talking to anybody? Stuck in one place. You've been there so long, you, you, you're getting your mail there now. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? You, you're just stuck. Your feet are glued to the same spot. Everybody else is moving past you, looking around, wondering when you're going to catch up. Stuck in one place. How long had that man been stuck? 38 years he had been stuck in one place. 38 years. 
years. Whenever I had this knee replaced, I'd had the last automobile accident I had damaged this knee, and they had to end up going in and cutting it out and replacing it. And, and I have a high tolerance for pain, and I was in St. Luke's Hospital, and the floor I was on, they did nothing but do knee and, and hip replacements and that kind of thing. And usually it was older people and me being so young and full of life and... You know, and all of that kind of thing. And I was out of place. And I'm, I'm t- no disrespect, but I mean, the women there, their hair was all blue, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and they, they, it wasn't gray, it was blue. And, and, and I'm there, and after the surgery, and it's on a Sunday, and a young physical therapist comes in to begin physical therapy, and she says, I'm going to bend your leg, and when it hurts, tell me. And I said, wait, you can't go by that. I want you to go by your training. I have a high tolerance for pain. I've just been through a lot. And what normally is a 10 for others is somewhere around a 3 or 4 for me, maybe. And I said, so don't go for that, because I might not tell you. You may do some damage. Just use your skill and how you were educated to determine my range of motion. She didn't. She waited for me to cry out, and she did. She did a number on my leg and and I'm telling you I'm just sitting there just you know and she broke the blood vessels in this leg and the next day this leg was blown up and swollen as big as my waist and I I mean I'm sitting there and the doctor comes in and says my god what happened and I said I don't know he said I'll tell you what happened they broke the blood vessels in your leg he was not there on, on the Sunday. And so I'm laying there waiting for the swelling to go down. And I'm waiting there while all these older folk that had checked in, you know, I watched them wheel them in from surgery. The door to my room is open. I watch them bringing them in on the, on, on the, on the cots and everything, the, the beds and rolling them to their room. And then I watch them as they're walking down the hall feebly, you know, walkers and all of that kind of stuff. And finally they're getting stronger. And then they peer in my room and say, you still here? We're going home. I was stuck. If you're tired of being stuck, that's what Jesus is all about. The Lord of the Sabbath is here to bust somebody out of a rut today. And oh, somebody in the building shout hallelujah. And the last man he healed was a man that was born blind, John 9 and 14. He couldn't see the things of God. So Jesus had to create in him eyes because he was born blind. And actually what the translation says is there were no eyes in his, in his balls in his socket. And Jesus, Jesus literally performed a creative miracle. And here's what happened. If you don't, can't see the things of God, you get stuck in one place. And if you get stuck in one place, it affects the level of your breathing or your fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if you get stuck in one place and your, your spiritual, uh, as it were, fullness is affected. You know what happens? You get bent over and you lose your ability to straighten yourself up because it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit saith the Lord and you're looking at the wrong thing and you know what happens if you're not listen if you, you if you're if you don't have if you can't see the things of God then you get stuck in one place and it affects the fullness of the Holy Spirit and you you get bent over and you no longer experience elevation and you start developing a fever because you start getting hot about the wrong things and you get passion for the wrong things and you know what that makes happen makes you develop a bad attitude and then what happens is you can't hold on to the things that God wants to give you and he came and purposefully healed all seven of them to let you know I'm the Lord of Sabbath I'm the Lord of seven I've got a word and I'm done today but I want you to know this is your year of a double seven God is breaking something loose over your life today somebody stand with me and giving some praise right now